definitely a pathway to them all being lifted. Would that help? Uh, it would help, but I don't think we have the same circumstances because in the UK there was a massive political problem going on um, and Boris was under massive uh, political pressure to show that sort of thing. Whereas in Hong Kong, we don't have that sort of political pressure uh, at all. In fact, even businesses are not putting that much pressure on the government. Um, they are putting pressure on the government, but not in, in the sort of public sense that was going on elsewhere. And perhaps even the opposite, to keep keep it on, keep it on for a little while for various reasons. Yes. So. Okay, thank you very much indeed for your thoughts this morning. That was Stuart Allcroft, Chairman of City Trust, Mark Michelson, Chairman of the Asia CEO Forum at IMA Asia, and our International Economics Correspondent, Barry Woods. You're listening to Mark. Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Let's take a final look at the markets, which are deep in the red this morning around Asia. The SX200 in Australia down 0.7%. In Japan, the Nikkei 225 is off 1.3%. Cosby in South Korea off 0.7%. And futures markets indicating the Hang Seng here in Hong Kong is going to open over 1% lower. Brent crude oil also slipping. It's at $66.23 a barrel. And gold is pretty well unchanged at $1,779 an ounce. Do please join me again tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock for Money Talk. Stay tuned for Back Chat with Hugh Chiverton and Steve Vines this morning. The weather forecast for today, hot during the day. Maximum temperature is going to be around 28 degrees. And then the outlook is for it to be hot during the day and mainly fine in the next couple of days. A few showers early next week. 23 degrees right now, 72% relative humidity. It's coming up to 8.32. Here's Samantha Butler with the half-hour news. A co-convener of the government panel on COVID vaccines has downplayed fears of a mass outbreak due to highly infectious strains found here recently. Professor Ivan Hung from the University of Hong Kong praised government efforts in containing the spread of the new variants. He told RTHK that people shouldn't wait for second-generation vaccines. The Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine still remains effective against the South African strain, despite the antibody level dropped by about 60%. But because of the antibody achieved by this vaccine is very high. So even though the antibody dropped against the South African virus, the vaccine still remains effective against, uh, the protection still effective against these variants. For Sinovac, unfortunately, currently there are no publication yet or the efficacy against the variants. So still we're still waiting for these uh, publications. The former police officer Derek Chauvin has been found guilty of two charges of murder and one of manslaughter in the death of George Floyd, the African-American man he violently arrested last May. The historic outcome at a court in Minneapolis comes after a three-week trial seen as a landmark test of police accountability. Jerry Blackwell was a special prosecutor in the case. No verdict can bring George Perry Floyd back to us. But this verdict does give a message to his family that he was somebody, that his life mattered, that all of our lives matter. And that's important. And I also hope that this verdict for all of the rest of collective, all of us, will help us further along the road toward a better humanity. A bystander's video of George Floyd's death triggered unrest in many U.S. cities and worldwide protests after Derek Chauvin knelt on his neck for more than nine minutes. He'll be sentenced in about eight weeks' time and faces a maximum of 40 years in prison. Three other former police officers involved in Mr. Floyd's deadly arrest will go on trial later this year.
All six English clubs involved in the controversial new European Super League have indicated they've decided to withdraw. Spanish media are reporting that Barcelona and Atletico Madrid are also considering pulling out of the competition. The Prime Minister Boris Johnson tweeted that if confirmed, the decision to quit the Super League was absolutely the right one. Here's the BBC's Andy Swiss. After 48 hours of almost ceaseless criticism, the proposed breakaway suddenly unravelled. First, it emerged Chelsea were preparing to withdraw. It's understood the club were concerned about the reputational damage after seeing the negative global reaction. Next, Manchester City confirmed they also wanted to pull out a decision welcomed by the head of UEFA, Alexander Sheffrin. It takes courage to admit a mistake, he said. And late in the evening, the four remaining English clubs, Manchester United, Tottenham, Liverpool and Arsenal, also withdrew. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Backchat. I'm Hugh Chiverton, your co-host today, Steve Vine. Steve, good morning to you. Good morning. Today we're talking about COVID-19 in the Philippines and Hong Kong and the collapsing European Super League. The Hong Kong Employers of Overseas Domestic Helpers Association says the government's two-week ban on arrivals from the Philippines has come as a relief to many people who are concerned about the COVID-19 situation in the country. The discovery of the mutant strain of the virus in the community in Hong Kong has led to the government banning flights from the Philippines, India and Pakistan. The government says multiple arrivals from the three countries also have had the same mutated form of the virus. Well, how will the ban affect domestic helpers and their employers here in Hong Kong? Should vaccinated helpers, for example, be allowed to travel? What's significant about this new strain? And how's the Philippines doing against COVID? Let us know your thoughts, your questions and your comments. Uh, our Facebook page is Backchat on RTHK Radio 3. You can email us, backchat at rthk.hk or you can... Uh, uh, give us a call and our telephone number is 233-88266. Join the conversation, 233-88266. And then after 9.15, uh, we're going to be talking to a football expert about the uh, European Super League. You might have heard the news this morning that it's basically uh, crashed and burned. Uh, why was that? Why was it launched? Why did it crash? Uh, would it have been good news for fans in Asia? And will the, it will emerge uh, Phoenix-like at some time in the future? Let us know. Your take, you can email backchat at rthk.hk. Joining us for the first part of the programme this morning, we have now Chan Tung Fung, who's chair of the Hong Kong Union of Employment Agencies, and Iman Vulanueva, who's spokesperson for the Asian Migrants Coordinating Body. Once again, I email backchat at rthk.hk. Mr Vulanueva, maybe we'll start with you. Good morning. Hi, good morning. Good morning. Thank you, thank you both very much indeed. Mr. Villanueva, first of all, do you, what do you know about the situation of, uh, w- in the Philippines at the moment with COVID? It's, uh, it's, it's pretty bad, isn't it? <laughs> it is, it is. Unfortunately, unfortunately, the government is not handling the uh, situation very well. They're just uh, implementing lockdowns and curfews, but there is no uh, mass testing, no uh, effective and systematic uh, isolation and quarantine procedure. And uh, even with the vaccination process, it's taking, uh, you know, uh, a very, very slow process. We are just uh, using uh, donated vaccines. And uh, so far, we we don't have vaccines uh, that were purchased by the government, even if they borrowed billions of dollars for supposedly for such purpose. So it's, it's really bad. The, the cases are increasing on a daily basis, more than 10,000 every day. So, yes, I, I, it's very unfortunate, yes. And how are the health services doing? Well, 
Solid is overwhelmed, unfortunately, uh, based on the uh, statements made by some, uh, uh, you know, uh, people from the uh, hospital association. Uh, their uh, their limit is actually, uh, you know, uh, they're overwhelmed. They said that their capacity is already like 150 to 200 percent occupancy. Uh, and uh, many people are dying without being, uh, you know, attended by by doctors, uh, especially those who need uh, uh, critical attention. For example, those who are waiting for emergency rooms, they're dying, you know, on the corridors inside the hospital. I must say, Ayman, um, you know the, uh, you'll know this better than than I do. But the incredible irony of this is that it's Filipino nurses who are going around the world and saving people's lives in all sorts of places except for the Philippines. That, that, that is so true. That is so true. It is a very sad fact, but it is so true. Uh, the Philippines is, uh, you know, one of the, uh, 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 you know, premier country uh, who, has, uh, who has been uh, sending nurses and doctors to first world countries, the U.S., U.K., Ireland, you know, European countries. Uh, but unfortunately, they're leaving the country not because they wanted to, but because the the, the pay they are getting and the uh, you know the, uh, the the benefits that they're getting is just not enough for them to you know to to, to feed or at least to to survive you know, for their family. So yes, it is again another unfortunate situation there. So uh, the government has has announced that that ban on flights from the Philippines as well as uh, India and Pakistan, which also have uh, outbreaks. Uh, what effect is that having? How is that affecting uh, uh, migrant workers, especially domestic helpers in, in Hong Kong from the Philippines? Well, uh, from the onset, the uh, the the uh, the numbers of migrant domestic workers coming to Hong Kong has dramatically decreased since last year. Uh, uh, but still. Uh, I think because the need for for certain, such services is still still there, still very much needed. So there are still uh, you know quite a number of employers who wanted to bring in domestic workers. From the numbers or from the figures I got from the employers, of, uh, sorry, the, the agencies association, there are roughly around 200 uh, migrant domestic workers coming every day, and you know mo- mostly coming from the Philippines and then followed by Indonesia. So uh, immediately the, the effect would be uh, those who are expecting to, to, to be employed will suddenly left in, you know, in limbo and uh, they, they may probably thinking what will happen next because suddenly they cannot, they cannot fly to Hong Kong. They, they are uh, unsure whether they will still be able to come to work. Uh, the situation is the same with employers. They are expecting their domestic workers. I mean, the fact that even with the 21-day quarantine in place, uh, they are still, you know, willing to bring in their domestic workers. I think they really, you know, they, they badly need the, the, uh, the services of their domestic workers. And now, again, they have to, to wait for much longer. I don't know if they can wait. Uh, but behind this, both of them have already spent, you know, quite a, quite a sum of money. Those who are coming from the Philippines, they have spent for their, uh, you know, for, for their medical checkups, for, for paying the government uh, permits and, uh, and agency fees. Of course, we are aware that even if there's a policy of no agency fee, they are paying training and agency fees. The employer is the same. They have also paid for, for, for the services of the agency. So, so there's a financial loss, but at the same time, there's also this vacuum. 
uh, left uh, for the uh, needs of the families in Hong Kong. And then you have these hundreds of migrant workers left unemployed in the Philippines. Of well, course, their families would also suffer. Maybe we could bring in Mr. Chan at this point, because we've heard reports, in fact, it was on the bulletin today, that because of this shortage and the difficulty of finding domestic helpers, there's now, a, if you like, a competitive race to, to obtain the services of helpers, and that's also leading to a, a, a rise in the amount they're being paid. First of all, is that true? And if it is true, to what extent is it, is it something that's happening at the moment? Hello? Yes, Mr Chan. Mr. Chan, sorry, sorry, yeah. we're having a little trouble hearing you. If you could just get a little bit closer to to your phone, uh, maybe take it off speaker if it, if it's on speaker, and then we could then we can hear you a little bit more clearly, perhaps. Hello. 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 Yeah. Okay, that's a little better. Yeah. Carry on. Sorry. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. For 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 the ban of the flight from Philippines to Hong Kong, because it's only start yesterday initial uh, response from the employers. Uh, so far, of course, they feel worried about the deployment of the workers to Hong Kong and the suspension of the services to them. Uh, therefore, for we are expecting, and also employers are offering a uh, little bit higher service fee and also the salary to the workers to compete for those workers locally, actively in, in local market. Because not only for, for these two weeks, I think uh, about 1,500 to about 1,800 employers will be affected by the suspension. But not only this, more important, employers, for some employers, they might shaken their confidence or they are not confident to hire workers from Philippines because uh, the reason leading to the suspension is not from Hong Kong but from the uh, pandemic situation in the Philippines. And we can see or we cannot see any hope of sharp improvement in Manila after two weeks. It means after this Suspension lifted. Maybe after a few days, suspension comes again. That, that, that's the most worrying scenario. Does Does that employers. mean that you're sourcing um, staff more actively from other places, such as Indonesia? Uh, but for Filipino and Indonesian, sometimes they are irreplaceable. For those employers hiring Filipino, some of them. They can shift to Indonesian market, but for some of them, they cannot shift. Just just simply shift to Indonesian market because for Indonesian, uh, most of them they are not good in English. For Filipino, most of them they are not good in Cantonese. These are two different sources of demand power. I, I think you've made suggestions about vaccines and, and, and vaccinating uh, uh, Filipino uh, domestic helpers before they come to Hong Kong. What, what's your idea? What's your proposal? Yes, this one. Uh, actually, in mid-March, we have recommended to Hong Kong government and also to Philippine Council General. Uh, after we write 
we wrote them letters. The Philippine Consulate General invited us to have a meeting uh, last last week. And then, according to the assistance from the Consul General, they support and welcome the our initiative. And then, uh, but the most important message from them is, according to the priority list of vaccinations in the Philippines, domestic workers are in number 10 in the list. Means in the short term, we, we, we don't expect any worker can get the vaccination. That's why we are, right now, we are recommending or requesting Hong Kong government to donate some doses of the vaccines to the Philippines uh, under the coordination with Philippine Labor Department. The donations of the vaccines is only specially targeted on Hong Kong-bound workers, not to other general public. So if any worker, they get J.O., what we call J.O. is the job order from Hong Kong, then they get the first shot after visa, then the second shot, and then come to Hong Kong. So by this way, we believe if with the protection of the vaccines, most of the Hong Kong-bound workers will be well protected or greatly reduce the virus infection or carry the virus, especially the mutant virus. Well, I wonder if we could ask um, Eamon Villanueva, how does that proposal seem from your point of view, from the point of view of the domestic helpers themselves? Well, uh, first of all, our position is that vaccination should be uh, a voluntary, uh, 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 voluntary, not mandatory, and therefore it should be an informed decision of the person who's going to get vaccinated. Uh, but in case, uh, for example, the Hong Kong government would require that, I, well, in a way, it's good because then the you know the migrant workers will, will get vaccinated. But at the same time, I don't think it's going to resolve the problem. Uh, caused by the uh, widespread uh, COVID uh, virus in the Philippines. First is that uh, those who get vaccinated doesn't mean they're not going to get the virus. What they they will have is protection uh, from severe, uh, uh, you know, in, uh, complications of the virus. But that doesn't mean they are immune from the virus. No, but Therefore, I mean, it does, it does mean can... that it's a high level of protection. I mean, there's now yeah, sufficient it's, it's evidence... Definitely. But, but what I mean is that if they get infected, even if they get vaccinated, they can still get, you know, be infected. And if they are coming to Hong Kong, they can still bring that virus. If, if the purpose is for them to be protected and not be able to bring the virus, I think the vaccine will not, will not do that. I'm not saying the vaccine is no use. No, that's not my point. My point is, uh, particularly if the, if the uh, objective is for them not to bring in the virus. I don't think that's going to, to, to you know, to, to solve the problem. And I, 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 I agree with Mr. Chan. It's not really the problem of the Hong Kong government. It's more on the problem of how the Philippine government is handling the, the, the pandemic in the Philippines. And uh, yes, uh, so far we don't see any improvement. Uh, uh, I don't think it's going to happen in the next, you know, couple of months. Exactly. That, that's what we are proposing. Because we, by this way, I agree with you, the vaccination, of course, cannot 100% uh, 
assure the workers will not be infected in any way, but greatly reduce the chance to get infected first. Second, the most important, we are proposing this one because we want to stabilize stabilize the supply of the workers to Hong Kong. If those workers to Hong Kong, most of them, they are safe, they are healthy, then the confidence of the employers in Hong Kong will also be increased. Currently, the police employers in Hong Kong, they are not confident enough to hire those from Philippines, from Indonesia, because they are worried they might be infected or at the same time, of course, it also takes long time to wait for, for the arrival of one worker. That's, what, that's why currently in the market, almost 80% of the employers, they rush to the local market rather than going to hire someone from overseas. That, that, that's the point. And by this way, if employer, they are confident enough, okay, the one, especially the group, the target group of domestic helpers in the Philippines, they are quite well protected. Then people will get confident again. That, that, that's the point. And Mr. Chan, what is the position, and we've heard reports about this, of domestic helpers being fired because their employers are either worried about their health or they, they, they have well, some other concerns? One, I, I, I don't think it's, it's a serious issue. In Hong Kong... Uh, so far, according to my experience, very, very few workers are found because of the health issues. I see. Well, that's good news. What, what, what about the vaccination? Uh, what do you say to, to the helpers? Because I, I know there are some employers who insist on, on, the, on their helpers being, uh, being vaccinated. Uh, what's your stance on that, first Mr. Chan? rather ridiculous. Sometimes, uh, actually, that's, that's the, they, they follow the major chain in Hong Kong. People in Hong Kong, not only uh, domestic helpers, but also the people in Hong Kong, quite a lot of them are still not really willing to receive jobs. Most of them still quite reluctant. And then uh, that's why some employers, they are calling agency. Uh, can you con try to convince the workers to receive jobs? But we, we, we talked to them or we told them that on voluntary basis. And then uh, even the other day I talked to Consul General, they also say it's a voluntary basis. We encourage workers to receive the jobs, but we cannot force anyone to do it. Well, here's an interesting email from Anthony um, who says, uh, vaccination is to prevent us from dying and suffering from COVID-19. Why not the families desperate to get a domestic helper to get vaccinated first before having a domestic helper coming in? Why we always assume it's the helpers who infect us rather than we Hong Kong families infecting the domestic helpers? That comes from uh, Anthony. Emmanuel, uh, what about that? Having Insisting that if you have a domestic helper, you should get vaccinated. That's a reasonable, <laughs> reasonable uh, suggestion. I mean, uh, first, first of all, we are actually uh, we support the idea of you know everyone getting vaccinated. But then again, of course, it has to be uh, on a voluntary basis. But that is so true. It is uh, it is also in the same you know logic what I what I was explaining earlier. Even if the domestic worker gets vaccinated and and she maybe you know 
she may have that protection. And, but that doesn't mean she cannot carry the virus when she comes to Hong Kong. And if the families she's going to work with are also not fully vaccinated, I mean, not all of them, then again, that, that danger of passing the, the virus to a person who is, who is not vaccinated will still be there. So, yes, the vaccination is very important. But, yeah, in this case, I think uh, it, it mustn't solve the problem. We have, we, the problem will have to be resolved in the Philippines, principally, principally. Uh, and I appreciate that in Hong Kong they are they are offering this to migrant workers uh, free of charge, uh, you know, test both testing and and the vaccination. But yes, those coming from the Philippines, uh, the Philippine government will have to address that sooner than later. Okay, uh, here's an email from uh, Vic, and perhaps Mr. Chan, you could address this. Uh, Vic says, uh, "Dear Backchat, I would like to hear from the representative of domestic helpers as to how organised they have got to take advantage of the present situation in Hong Kong. In my opinion, they are handing gloves with the agents in this relation. We had a case where a friend just got a domestic helper employed, and within a few months, the agent offering the same helper to another family, asking for a higher salary. Each time, the helper changes job." the agents tend to make money. Domestic helpers are making unreasonable demands and quitting jobs at the drop of a hat, leaving families high and dry. There is a case where the domestic helper threatened to quit if the family went ahead with having a second child. This is just one extreme case. There are plenty of other cases equally immoral. That comes from Vic. Mr Chan, do you know of cases like that? I heard about it, but uh, that's not... Uh, really very common in our industry. Rather, most of the workers, if they shift from employer A to employer B, it's because of the cooperation issues between both of them, rather than because someone hire a little bit higher salary. I think this is quite uh, wrongly labeled about those terminated workers. That, that, that's another uh, topic I, I like to discuss. For immigration, they, they, especially for immigration, after getting informed by some groups of people, they mislabel workers as uh, terminated workers, as job hoppers. That, that's not true. Most of, according to our experience, I think 90% of those terminated are because of the different issues between employers and workers, not because they just want to get a higher paid job. That, that's not true. That's not true. And also, for, um, for those terminated workers, actually, once they get, even they transfer to another employer, they also lost something because they lost the salary while waiting for the new visa. And the most important, they are not in a position to predict the next employer will be better or pay them higher salary. It's quite impossible before they get the new employer. I must, I must say to, to Vic, who, who sent the email, I don't know what planet he's living on, but the fact of the matter is the power relationship between employers and domestic helpers is hardly one shifted in the direction of domestic helpers. So I'd just like to ask um, Eamon Villanueva, I mean... In all of these circumstances, particularly now when there's these pressures from COVID, do you think that, that the competitive advantage, if you like, 
of people who are employed as, as domestic helpers has actually improved or, or worsened, would, maybe? Yeah. I, I would say that to those who are about to finish their contract, there may be some opportunity. I, I agree with Mr. Chan. I don't think the, the situation drastically changed just because there is, uh, you know, uh, 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 there is less supply of migrant domestic workers. Uh, in fact, uh, that, that, that job-hopping myth uh, being, uh, you know, propagated by the Immigration Department... And, and, and the stories, the reports of, reports of domestic helpers, you know, the wages going up to 8,000, I heard, things like this. Is that, is that true? Is that happening? I don't think so. I don't think so. I mean, there well, may be some. So. I'm not saying there's none. there's none. But I don't think it's like a trend. I don't think so. I don't think so. I mean, uh, the, the, pay, the, the pay levels remain the same. There are some who are paying more, not because they wanted to, you know, lure some domestic workers to, to be hired by them, but because, uh, I mean, really, since the start of the pandemic, the, 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 the workload of domestic workers has increased by, you know, 50% or more. Uh, there are more cooking happening, more marketing happening, because both the parents and the children, especially when, when we're in lockdown and the, 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 situa- the, the, the students are not allowed to attend, uh, you know, uh, the school in person, uh, uh, the, the, the parents are working uh, from home, uh, they're working more, they're cleaning more, they're marketing more, mm. they sleep less. So some, some employers would compensate that especially those who are not given regular day offs. I mean, the pandemic has, you know, it, it, it plays too much toll to, to the migrant domestic workers. And okay. I hope that the immigration would see this. The Hong Kong government should, should see this. We are, we are one of the sectors who are, have, mo- have been uh, most impacted by the pandemic. Okay, well, Mr. Villanueva, thank you very much indeed for joining us, spokesperson of the Asian Migrants Coordinating Body. And uh, Chan Tung Fung, uh, Chair of the Union of Employment Agencies, thank you very much indeed. Uh, the weather, briefly before the news, fine, hot, 23 degrees, 73% relative humidity. And this is an assurance to them that if we don't give up, that we can win some rounds. But the war and the fight is not over. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Welcome back. This is Backchat on a Wednesday morning with Steve Vines and me, Hugh Chiverton. Later, we're going to be talking about uh, the uh, collapse of the European Super League uh, plans, uh, which uh, never got off the uh, ground. What's going on? Is there a future uh, for it nevertheless? Uh, what would the effect be on, on fans in Asia? We'll be talking about that a little bit uh, later. Uh, we're continuing our discussion now of uh, COVID-related matters. We were talking about the situation in the Philippines and how that's impacting uh, domestic helpers uh, in uh, Hong Kong in the first part of the program. We wanted to turn now to a little bit of uh, uh, clarification, we hope, about the, the issue of the uh, the strains, the different uh, mutant strains that we've been uh, hearing about. We're joined by uh, John Nichols, clinical professor in pathology at the University of Hong Kong. If you've got a question for him uh, of a, uh, a medical nature, please call us 233-88266 or email backchat at rthk.hk or go to our Facebook page. That's backchat and rthk radio 3. Okay, so 
some comments on uh, different issues. Uh, here's Mike. Uh, first of all, uh, Mike says, uh, this is responding to a, a discussion earlier in the week. Uh, Mike says, CW ticked his hand yesterday by giving kudos to vaccine takers after his suggestion to have me censored. Is this where the vitriol is coming from? Vacors versus anti-vacor? Or as one lady emailer referred, that American. Though I've lived in Hong Kong much longer than I've lived in America, nearly two thirds of my life here. My accent gives clues to my origins. Please note very few emailers or callers give challenging questions to the medical guest speakers other than a few anecdotal tidbits. If I have not made accurate medical stroke scientific statements, then please do your research, enlighten us of your findings. Call Michelle and join in. It's an entertainment programme. We would love to hear you stammer through your thoughts like the rest of us. Just remember to turn your radio off. The feedback is terrible. I wish Stroke asked Dr Cowling to listen to Dr Ron Brown's talk on reporting bias of COVID-19 mRNA vaccine trials and come back to RTHK and give his views. If Dr Young, Dr Chan or Dr Cowling disagree with the thoughts of Dr Brown I shared on the programme, please speak up. Keyboard warriors declare your qualifications, stroke experience, spokes research and be constructive. This is not a popularity contest. Uh, Dr Cowling only refers in terms of quote, relative risk reduction and or the associated efficacy numbers. Dr. Brown states that relative risk is for the use of researchers only. Mike, when you do you mean absolute risk in that sentence? When you say uh, uh, relative risk is... Dr. Brown states that relative risk is for the use of researchers only. Um... Oh, I see. Okay, all right. The general public, politicians and clinicians should mainly use the numbers associated with absolute risk reduction as it is a more accurate indication of what is really happening. And finally, Hugh, have you listened to Dr. Brown's programme? I know it's more fun to bash me, but try and stay on topic. Have a nice day. Uh, that is uh, from uh, Mike. Uh, there is actually a, a paper written, or you can read in the abstract at least, of, of the paper on the uh, reporting bias of COVID-19 mRNA vaccine trials, if you choose. Uh, it might be uh, quicker than, than listening to the whole talk. But, Mike, you did talk and you did put your question to uh, Dr Cowling, and he has a PhD in biostatistics. So I think he was the best person to address your comments, and I think we, we dealt with that, didn't we? Or am I wrong? Uh, OK, uh, on the first issue, Jay says, to assist the helpers snuck in Hong Kong who have finished the contract, the government should be allowed to give two- or three-month short contracts. This would also solve the problem for employers of those who cannot come back into Hong Kong. And as for employers paying thousands more for domestic helpers, I think the story is a little bit exaggerated. Because of Fili Filipino culture, many gather together... And and because people are not wearing the mask, this is why it is spreading. The mask is to keep the virus in. If you have it, that comes uh, from Jay. Uh, if you have any more questions, as I say, or, or, or comments, once again, uh, you can email backchat at rthk.hk. Okay, this is quickly one from Vic. I think it's responding to you. Steve, uh, Vic says, I live in a planet where middle-class brown-skinned families just make men ends meet without the advantages enjoyed by some privileged people living in glass castles with the gift of a gab and a platform to broadcast it smiley face that's from <laughs> vic touche oh, smiley face back to you yeah. vic <laughs> okay uh we're joined uh, as i say now by uh, john nichols a clinical professor at the, uh, the university of hong kong professor of pathology good morning to you thanks for for joining us once again yeah, good morning uh, so so there is a lot of concern about the uh, the, uh, the the mutated strain which is now being uh, recorded uh, in, in hong kong this is so this is the, the, the 
the, the, explain first of all, and I know you have talked about this before, but what's the relationship between the strain and a variant? We're talking about the, the uh, South African variant. Uh, is that the, you know, um, what's the relation of that to a, to a strain? Okay, so, um, so firstly, uh, in relationship to many of your other uh, callers, is that, uh, is that most uh, medical uh, people will talk an expert about someone who actually achieves a skill. Uh, so I think many of us are knowledgeable uh, about uh, these viruses, but uh, I think, uh, as you know, there's probably far more experts on coronavirus in Hong Kong than there are a number of cases. Uh, the second thing is that uh, you also be familiar that we're, we're not politically supposed to be talking about South African or Brazil or, or UK variants because that implies a country, uh, because that will then come down and say people talk about the China variant. So, but the thing is that most people actually talk about uh, strains of sort of using like B1.17, B1.351. What it really refers to is basically the number of changes which happen in these things called amino acids. Um, think about the, to, to go back a bit, you know, we have this coronavirus and on the surface there is a protein uh, called the spike protein. This spike protein is made up of a whole chain of amino acids and there's about 1,273. Of these, uh, which make up this spike protein, and then because it's an RNA virus, that you know every time the, the more uh, a virus replicates, the more chance you get little changes creeping in. So these changes in uh, amino acids, uh, some of them may be significant, some of them may not be significant. And the main one which people are talking about is this um, change in the amino acid called the N501Y, which means that amino acid number 501. There's a change from a amino acid called uh, asparagine, which we use word N, to uh, one called tyrosine, where we use word Y. So what this does is that this uh, seems to increase and allow the virus to spread more easily. However, there is also um, these variants uh, also have got other changes in the spike protein, and one, one which is also called the E484K, which uh, people call the EEC. Um, which uh, may help the virus to evade some kinds of antibodies. So, so when these sort of different variants emerge, they've got actually a combination of uh, different different mutations. So, uh, the, the, the main one which people are concerned about now is this, is whether or not number one will it spread more quickly, and number two will it evade uh, the vaccination. So, to get back to the both the uh, for the vaccination that Pfizer have basically challenged. Um, these, all these variants, they found that their, their vaccine is effective at all the other mutations. So, so I think the, the bottom line is that everybody thinks is that both the, the RNA vaccines uh, will be effective against all these different variants. The, um, I think what one of your previous callers have also mentioned is that, you know, the, the Sinovac uh, for this, what we call the, uh, the variant of the B351, uh, is that the, it may not be as effective. Um, so that's why there's some, been some concern about, about, about the sign of it. But I think the, the main thing about which I think people are concerned about is that because this, this variant, the N501Y, can latch more tightly to human cells, uh, it, you know, it can actually cause uh, more virus to be produced, which is why um, the, the government has increased these restrictions. But I think it must be pointed out that uh, this variant is present in <clears throat> not just in these uh, these three countries, but it's actually very present in about 30 or 40 countries around the world right now. I wonder, Professor uh, Nichols, whether I could just ask you something that 
a lot of people are talking about, given the yeah. fact that all viruses mutate. Does this mean that we are going to be in an endless cycle of annual or I don't know at what period vaccinations to cope with the inevitable mutations that are occurring? I think, well, you know, what I can give you is, uh, you know, 30 years of research and experience uh, into influenza viruses. And we all know that basically because these viruses are similar, they are RNA viruses, is that there will always be changes which, uh, which will be occurring. So there will always be mutations which will be occurring in these viruses. And so the, the $64 million question is that are these <coughs> variants going to be ones which mean you need uh, a new annual vaccine, uh, which I think is going to be the most likely scenario that is that the more and more as you're getting more virus replication, you're going to get more chance of variants or mutations creeping in, some of which may be um, sued, which may evade the, the RNA vaccines, which means that probably you will need uh, an annual vaccination, which also gets back to uh, the, the big problem is that from a historical point of view, looking at influenza, is that the vast uh, majority of middle-aged people and the younger-aged people in Hong Kong just have not had a influenza vaccination because they think it's just a, you know, it's just a jab and as adults they're not used to getting vaccination. That's why it is actually, as you've been pointed out, it's going to be a very, very hard sell getting this uh, group of people uh, to be encouraged to take part in the vaccination strategy uh, because normally people associate vaccinations with either the very young or the very old. Uh, so the middle-aged people, uh, it's, it's, it's going to be a very hard sell. And so that's why I think most countries are now, uh, they've been talking about herd immunity, that they're coming to the um, disappointing reality is that if they want to push this, is that it's going to be much longer than they anticipated. Uh, is there something in the, uh, the, the new style vaccines, the mRNA vaccines, that makes them better able to, to cope with uh, new strains? Or are, is the, uh, the traditional form of vaccine, is that better able in general to, to cope with variations like this? Well, I think the evidence is that the, if you look at the traditional type of vaccination, of, uh, of um, vaccination which is done, uh, which is using the inactivated uh, virus, you know, which I think which is uh, used by um, some vaccine companies. You know, the, the evidence shows is that it, probably that's not as good as the, RNA, uh, the mRNA vaccines. Uh, and so that I'm not accused of being an mRNA bias uh, by any callers. Just to say that basically the, the good thing about these mRNA is that, is that if you do, or no, sorry, not if, but when you do get these um, mutations occurring, is that it's very easy and very quick to actually sort of plug these changes in uh, and to get a new vaccine out. Uh, rather than having to deal with traditional vaccines, we have to grow up cells and then inact inactivate the vaccine. So, so that's actually been, I think, the very great benefit of these mRNA vaccines is that you've been able to adapt and to modify uh, the vaccine as necessary uh, with a much shorter period of time than you would are using the traditional vaccine. So, um, you know, my personal view is that I think the mRNA vaccines will be way to go in the future because with a constantly changing field of so many emerging, virus, uh, emerging variants and strains coming across, is that the, the, the vaccine companies will be able to adapt. This also probably means is that in the future, 
just like we have with influenza, you, you might end up getting a cocktail of, uh, of vaccines, like so your annual um, vaccine in a couple of years' time may be against uh, a strain which has come from Brazil, a strain from, uh, from India or a strain. So I, I think just as we have different strains of influenza which, which, uh, come, which come about from different, isolated from different countries, I think probably in, in the coming years, this is what we'll be seeing. Do you, do, you, do you have a different, do I remember correctly, do you have different flu uh, injections for different hemispheres? Uh, well, see, every year what happens is that, uh, you know, the WHO used to meet and they used to have, have a, what's called a strain selection, uh, where they used to try and sort of, um, sort of roll the dice and try and predict yeah. which strains would be probably circulating with the northern hemisphere or the southern hemisphere. And then, then sometimes... You know, you'd get it right, sometimes you wouldn't get it right. So, so sometimes you may get different strains which, uh, which circulate. Because um, with influenza, there's far, the, you know, there seems to be far more evidence of uh, seasonality. Uh, and, and, but the downside is that with the greater international travel is that some, some of the seasonality uh, may go out window. But, but certainly is that, yeah, there has been sort of different strains which uh, occur in, uh, in, in different uh, in, in influenza in different parts of the world, and and probably this is you know what we this is what we may see uh, with um, with COVID so, in the next few years. So you might take a geographically specific uh, vaccination. Uh, I mean, that, I just that, I mean, because that, that kind of goes against the idea that that um, these seem to be travelling around the world at tremendous speed, don't they? The, these that's right. These yeah, variations. I think it, 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 in the pre-COVID days when we, you could fly anywhere in the world, but, you know, anywhere. Well, in about 12, 24 hours, and, you know, your, your baggage might go somewhere else. And, you know, the, basically, there's that. This in what we found, uh, if you remember, with uh, the swine flu, is that because of the rapid travel, you know, the you know, it, it spread all around the world in in a few, in a few um, months. And this was, you know, with the international travel. This was happened with COVID last year. So, I think probably, you know, even though a geographical one might be uh, possible, given the international travel, I think we'll still have to deal with. Um, a global one, and so, but when you've got so many different strains in, in so many hotspots, and this also gets back to is that you know you is that the reality is that is that we get more virus cases, you get more chance of a mutation going in because you get every time the virus replicates in a the cell, there's more chance of, so that you have a of a mutation. So, so if you can sort of keep the number of hotspots in the world going going down. Uh, then it will then decrease uh, the number of potential mutations uh, cropping in. All right, here's a quick question from Mike, uh, who says, now the cat is out of the bag and we will probably need a yearly booster. Next uh, $64 million question, do the spike vaccines do damage to our immune systems? Well, we don't know, is the honest answer. That is from Mike. Is that correct? Um I would say the damage is that the, the spike is that not damage, but they basically is that they stimulate the immune system, uh, which is just their job. Is, is that you know the job of the immune system is just to produce um, antibodies. Um, so and in 99.999%, uh, they do not do any any damage. Okay. Well, they thank- benefit the you know yeah. they benefit the immune system, which is its job to produce antibodies, so that. Uh, if or when you do come across the coronavirus, you will be protected. 
Okay. Well, thank you very much indeed for, for joining us. John Nichols, our clinical professor in pathology at the University uh, of Hong Kong. Thank you very much indeed uh, for joining us. Um, thanks for the people who've, who've noted there's a problem with our, with our uh, audio uh, quality. I think it's the streaming quality. That's uh, Jeremy uh, and... Uh, uh, also, uh, Rick, uh, thank you very much indeed, and also Jeffrey, uh, who says try turning it off and on again. And he's an engineer, so he's, that's that's his technical advice. Even are, I know how to do that. Yeah, <laughs> that's the usual. We are trying to uh, do something uh, about it. Have reported it. Thank you very much indeed, indeed for that. Uh, Jay says, when are you going to put Steve Vines back on his highly enlightening Thursday spot? That's a question from Jay. Well, we're just going to switch him off and on again. I think is uh, is, is the solution. Uh, on the earlier topic. Uh, Tung says, uh, no, in an email, no taking flights until domestic helpers get vaccinated. Both employees and domestic helpers do have the responsibility to get the job. Jab. Uh, on the other hand, the employees in Hong Kong need to educate their helpers to raise the awareness of COVID-19. Otherwise, another lockdown will come soon. Thank you very much indeed for that. wanted to turn finally today, after a request from a uh, listener, uh, to uh, the question of the uh, European Super League. This was uh, uh, an idea. Uh, that uh, turned up and within a couple of days was completely uh, shot down, at least by um, the uh, English leagues. It was for the uh, the top teams, or at least the uh, the richest teams uh, in Europe, to form their uh, own league uh, to play um, uh, matches. Uh, this was uh, stoutly opposed by the, the existing or, or authorities, including UEFA and uh, FIFA. And as I say, the uh, the English clubs at least have now have, have now uh, withdrawn. Uh, we joined now by Tobias Sousa. He's a lecturer for the Global Studies Programme at the Chinese University of Hong Kong and also editor-in-chief of Offside.hk. Um, Sousa, good morning to you. Hello. Hello, Tobias Sousa. Hello. Hello, hello. Can yes. you hear me? Yeah, morning. I can hear you. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Um, so uh, so the latest, it seems to be, that this is this is not going to happen. Is that right? Yes, that's right. And honestly, I'm very glad because we can now talk about how stupid the idea was rather than <laughs> it is. So, yeah, eventually I think they all came to their senses. Uh, I was hoping that they would have a moment of enlightenment in the in the days to come, but I didn't expect it would come so soon. But I think if, if anything, that it was maybe a reminder, uh, first of all, like how out of touch the teams are, uh, specifically the owners of the teams, when it comes to the fan base and that they were really not able to anticipate the backlash, which I think everyone saw coming except for them. Uh, also, it, it points to this very um, serious lack of solidarity, especially in, in this time when football everywhere in the world is suffering. But uh, the kind of justification for this European Super League uh, in the last few days was always that, oh, this is to, to save the game, uh, to bring in more income, to make up for the losses that have been caused by, by COVID-19 but then to just distribute them among the richest teams already out there. So I think, after all, it just really pointed to a lot of the structural issues, and maybe this is something we can take away from it after all. I'm just wondering, I mean, one of the fallouts of the collapse of what you describe as a crazy idea, I think many people do, is people calling for regulation, as there is in Germany, for example, on ownership of football clubs. In other words, that there should be moves to ensure that the clubs are owned by the fans rather than by big business conglomerates or very rich individuals. Is, do you think that's a feasible proposal? 
Yes, I think so. And it's, it's a debate that uh, I think has, uh, yeah, we have heard quite a lot also in the last few years uh, with other uh, clubs that have become fan-owned even in the UK. And even in this instance of the European Super League, I think one of the very striking reaction, first of all, that we saw was that uh, specifically the teams from Germany have opposed it. And the reason why they opposed it was not so much because they didn't see the commercial interest in there, but because they knew that they cannot get away with it. Because at the general uh, meetings every year, when indeed the fans have this 50% plus one uh, ownership, by law. majority ownership of the or by law over the over the club, uh, they would have rejected any any of these moves. So they even did not dare, and I think that the board did not dare to go anywhere near there. And I think this has really then, already in the last few years, became a model that becomes more interesting. Also, again, for other um, uh, yeah, um, nations to consider if this is something they would like to implement. I think the UK, uh, at least in, on, the, on the grassroots level, I think uh, some clubs already try to go into this direction. And maybe because uh, actually the first reaction from the from the um, UK Parliament was right that uh, they would like to what kind of new regulations they can put in place. Uh, hopefully this is like kicking off a discussion uh, how the ownership could be at least yeah, put back into the, the hand of the fans to a certain extent. But, but which fans? Because it, the argument was that um, there are uh, huge numbers of um, uh, people who are interested in football in this area, for example, and in China and in Africa and, and around the world. And frankly, they would like to see the big names uh, in Europe, the names that they know, the most famous teams, playing each other. They don't want to see um, uh, Manchester City playing Burnley or, or whoever. Um, they, want to see, they want to see them playing Barcelona on a, on a regular basis. They want to see a big, big punch-up. That's where the real interest is. And if you look at the numbers around the world, that's where the, the money will be in the end. Yeah, I think that that's uh, indeed a very interesting debate to have. I do have like a, a few um, yeah, um, yeah, considerations on this, that, uh, which I find are not that convincing. Um, first of all, uh, for the Champions League that is already ongoing and that is providing a very similar setup, actually the success of it in terms of um, um, yeah, popularity, uh, when we just uh, think about Asian viewers, is not that big in, in a way that they actually watch the games, because most of the time they are midweek games, and the proposal for the European Super League was, again, that they want to have like midweek games that then need to be played on um, in, in evening time again, right? The, the same as it is in the Champions League, which again would put the game probably at like th uh, 3 a.m. or 4 a.m. In, in, in our region. So uh, other, the other option for them would have only been if they really make it a midday kickoff and then would probably play in front of empty stadiums because people are at work. So um, I, I think this, this in itself was already like a little bit of this wish thinking that uh, there is this huge market for people to all around the world to just want to, to watch them on a regular basis. But uh, I think that the counter-argument that a lot of other people put up there is if you see your games, uh, I mean, if you see your clubs, right, uh, Barcelona, Chelsea or whatever, playing each other every week, then this itself is not any more special after a while. The same as we don't have Olympic Games every year or the same we don't have a World Cup not every year or just that the World Cup is like played between like six six teams that realistically have a chance for the title, uh, 
I think a lot of the joy in football and in other sports comes indeed from this David versus Goliath and the kind of um, yeah, underdog myth, the, the possibility at least, right, that uh, the, the outsider can, can also become champions. Uh, and of course, and I think a few years ago with Leicester City also winning the European, uh, the, the English Premier League um, has, has, has proved this point as well. Okay. Uh, some comment. Andrew Kay says, follow the money with the amount of money in the sport. This is or was all about money. Does anyone still think match fixing is not part of the game? Look at FIFA's track record on corruption. That's from uh, Andrew Kay. Uh, and uh, Anthony S says, the European Super League is a superb idea. Players should arrive at the stadium in a giant Mercedes with golden wheels, wearing their golden boots. The referee's whistle and match ball should be golden as well, just like the Trump Hotel. Clearly, more money is the solution. Money talk and let's go Super League. Who doesn't want to watch all the oil money derby every week? There should be more football coverage on back chat. That's uh, from uh, Anthony S. Thank you very much indeed for that. Uh, Anthony, the other Anthony, says, why Boris Johnson, the Football Association, has to suppress the freedom of football players from playing a league of their own isn't it a form of sanctions beyond the rule of law that the western world worships that comes from uh, from uh, anthony aren't the players uh, free to uh, and the teams free to free to do what they want and in the end aren't you just trying to stop the inevitable because the the money will lead people one way or another to do this kind of thing to break away for the richest uh, the richest teams with the the greatest numbers of fans uh, to play each other that's the way it will go in the end well of course like, things usually move in this direction with the with the commodification of the of the game altogether but i think this is maybe also a moment of of uh, enlightenment here hopefully uh, seeing how how the game has developed in the last few years because I think it was really quite striking seeing that uh, uh, these these clubs that more or less also responsible for checking up the prices, checking up the wages, checking up the, the player values over the last few years, that they the only way out for them of having to spend these millions every year is to just try to increase the revenue as well rather than actually looking at the at the, the structural um, problems of the game altogether. Um, so, yeah, I, I hope that there is a kind of uh, um, moment of, of enlightenment eventually that lets us, let us look at the deeper problems and deeper-seated problems in, in the game, which not go away, right? With, um, the, yeah. do, do you think it's a big sort of slap in the face for those, for those owners? Um, it, well, at, at least I think that they, they kind of notice that um, they cannot get away with everything. <coughs> um, specifically, if you... Uh, yeah, and talk about this, uh, and I think it was quite quite uh, um, obvious to see that it was the English Premier League clubs that usually are seen as as the ones with a huge fan base that they um, that they were the first also to uh, withdraw from this uh, competition. Uh, also, just because you mentioned the, the players, right? Because I mean, players are actually not allowed to register for different competitions. The same in Hong Kong. You cannot play in the Hong Kong Premier League and in the Yao E League because they are two different competitions under two different uh, organizations, uh, and you, you you have basically uh, an exclusivity. So the the threat of UEFA and the threat of FIFA that these players would be then uh, yeah, deregistered or not allowed to play in their competition was actually a real threat that uh, is is yeah happening at every level of of, of the game.
team all around the world. Mm. Well, Tobias, uh, many thanks for, for joining us this morning. Uh, he's uh, editor-in-chief of uh, Offside.hk, among other things. Thank you very much indeed for that. Uh, a few more emails uh, to uh, finish off. Uh, Bernadette says your lines are noisy it's bugged by the NSL we are, we are trying to uh, <laughs> fix that uh, see what happens um, and uh, Alan says uh, many times I write emails to Backchat you read the first paragraph and skip the conclusion as you apparently think it's boring your show if that's your policy okay but when MAGA Mike sends in a screed many times longer you read the entire farrago of repetitive conspiracy nonsense and his talking about how he's being censored by his enemies. Worse, he calls in and you let him go on for minutes of fact-free ranting. Anyone can ask questions, but he makes statements sourced from fringe far-right sites insisting he's correct no matter what qualified experts or documented facts show. Why do you feel obligated to allow this guy to... Dom I've deleted a couple of adjectives there. Guy to dominate discussion and spread misinformation. Uh, says uh, uh, Alan. Uh, well, he he joins in, uh, Alan, and um, uh, he uh, talks to people, and he will uh, talk to experts. Um, Vicky also says, dear Backchat, I was interested to hear Mike requesting other people's qualifications this morning. Can I ask what his are? I am a vet and have therefore had training in both virology and epidemiology and I have a doctorate, albeit in a different area. However, I do not feel I am qualified to endlessly question actual experts who are highly qualified to speak on the topic and instead choose to believe authorities such as WHO when they tell me that vaccines are safe and effective. That uh, is from uh, Vicky. Thank you very much indeed for, for that comment. A uh, couple more... Uh, TC on Facebook says, so to those who took offence by the term Wuhan pneumonia, why do I hear the term South African variant or Brazilian variant? Isn't that disparaging South Africans and Brazilians who aren't white and are often subjects of racial discrimination? Uh, and uh, Jay uh, says, uh, today's news showed the traveller from Dubai seems to have got, arrived clear of COVID and then got infected in the Ramada Hotel. Hotels are not intended nor built as quarantine centres. They do not have the required fresh air ventilation, air exchange rates per hour. Previous cross-infection has occurred in Australian hotels. Moreover, when arriving here, people become a prisoner of the government. If you leave quarantine, you will be arrested and jailed. Prisoners are entitled to protection under the UN Mandela rules. Uh, Jay, thank you very much indeed for that. Steve, thank you very much indeed. Uh, here's the weather before we go. Fine, very hot, or just hot. Temperatures up to about 28 degrees, hot during the day, and mainly fine in the next a uh, couple of days and a few showers forecast early next week. 24 degrees at the moment, relative humidity 72%. Online scams are everywhere these days. Be careful or you may suffer financial losses. Watch out for phishing emails and fake websites. Don't trust supposed online investment experts who promise to make you money. And beware of online dating scams. The tactics may differ, so take extra care when it comes to parting with your money. Don't fall prey.